Camarda Wealth offers complimentary, that's free folks, portfolio reviews to listeners. Get us your statements and we will thoroughly examine your portfolio, give you opinions on the risk and quality of each position you own, as well as how wisely we believe the whole thing holds together and how efficiently it addresses your needs and goals. At the same time, we'll also opine on how protected your assets are from financial predators, your estate plan, tax savings opportunities, and other ways we can think that you can cut risk, avoid probate, save money, and just plain get richer faster. Did I mention this service was free? Just call us at 888-CAMARDA, that's C-A-M-A-R-D-A, 888-CAMARDA, to set up your free portfolio review now. Folks, you're back with your Commander Wealth uh, Education Radio Advisory Team. And uh, before we get into um, the, the, my study results, which I think you'll find fascinating, we did promise to, to reveal uh, the uh, investment performance results of two of our favorite portfolios. And those are Chartist, uh, which is a technical timing portfolio, uh, the, the primarily uh, managed by uh, brother Johnny, Johnny Hotstocks Camarda. Uh, as well as Columbia. And year-to-date, this is through the uh, the end of June, the second quarter, third quarter's not over yet, Columbia was up 11%, 11.14%. That's net of all fees and expenses, including what we charge to manage the portfolio, versus its benchmark, which wasn't even up 1%. So 11.1% or just about 11% better and the, the, the trailing 12 of the one year, going back to June of 2014, was up 17.4% net of all fees and expenses uh, versus uh, under 1% again for that period. So Columbia has just done extremely well. Columbia is a, we look to buy based on the, the fundamentals, really, really cheap stocks uh, that, uh, um, that, that have a very high value, uh, and it's worked out pretty well. Chartists. Um, has been the winner uh, so far this year, up about 13%, 12.64 net of all fees uh, versus, versus its benchmark, about 1.2%. So also beating its benchmark by a little bit better than 11%. Um, and uh, for the year-to-year, 12 months performance ending uh, June 30th, up about 10% versus about 7% for its benchmark. So I just want to spend a couple, and if you want information on these or other portfolios, um, uh, which I think you'll agree is, um, is, is awfully interesting, Call us at 800-262-1083. We'll get your background on our uh, portfolio uh, services and, and on these and other portfolios. Uh, and ask for information on Columbia and or Chartist, 800-262-1083. Jonathan, give us a minute or so on Columbia. We'll start with Columbia. Uh, we recently had two real nice pops. For instance, we own PCP, uh, which was the the the, uh, the company, not the uh, the illegal substance uh, that uh, <laughs> Warren Buffett reviews. just loaded up on, um, and uh, it's causing a significant pop in the stock. We owned that before that acquisition announcement, and also there was another one that's recently popped, like thirty percent. What was that? Yeah, USNA, which is a uh, health. He said company. USNA, folks. That's right. USNA uh, had a nice <laughs> pop uh, recently. Uh, Contributing to the healthcare rise. Yeah, he's on, he's in his Michael Jackson mode now. I think. Uh, yes, Just, uh, mm. we're, we're going to pilot voice, folks. All right. So, so uh, anything uh, anything on Chartist, uh, which is uh, you just went to a lot of cash in Chartist, didn't you? Right. You sold twelve stocks. Yeah, so we're about seventy thirty equities to cash. And a pizza's in a good position. Since you know what they call us? They call us malicious obedience, right? You speak it too loud, Johnny. Okay, yes. then I won't talk at all. I'm just Actually, waiting for the elevator music to start. Right. So uh, it's been a, it's been a, it, yeah. So the seventy thirty split clients uh, kind of like the defensive posture, just in case we have some unexpected turbulence. 
uh, going into the fall. I'm going to lobotomize you like in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ratchets! And, uh, roll out another one. All right, so, uh, again, if you'd like information on these or other portfolios, call us at 800-262-1083. I want to get back to my study, which, again, was uh, inspired by the Wall Street Journal study uh, we, we mentioned in the first segment. Um, so inspired by that, I went to collect data on all of the stockbrokers in Florida, some 38,000 of them. Getting this information was very, very difficult. I went to the state of Florida, had protracted discussions with them, which is where the journal got its information, and they gave me, you know, for reasons I don't, still don't fully understand or, or, or that I question, uh, they wouldn't release it. But we finally got it from a commercial vendor, um, which has all of the, uh, the U4 disclosure information on all the people that are licensed to sell uh, securities in the state of Florida. Again, a very, very large sample, almost the entire um, the stock brokerage uh, popula- population in Florida. Um, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of data there, but I drilled it down to look at disclosure events. Again, there are some 57 questions on the U4, uh, and I'll just read a couple. Has the Securities Exchange Commission or Commodity Futures Trading Commission ever found you to have made a false statement or omission? That's one. Have found you to have been involved in a violation of its regulations or statutes? A lot of these questions, 57 of them, and then I rank them before basic rules. If they were accused of something that wasn't investment-related, they got a 1. If they were accused of something that was investment-related, they got a 2. If it looked like they were culpable for something, like they were convicted, right, they looked like they, they did something rather than just being accused of it, but it wasn't investment-related, they got a 3. And if they, they looked like they were convicted of something that was investment-related, like they were found guilty of investment fraud, they got a 4. So I did that, that and, and I, I generated a score called what I call the uh, Disclosure Incident Score, DIS, the DIS score, uh, for each of the 35,000-plus the folks that are producers that are in a sales agent capacity for broker deals in the state of Florida. And my interest was, do professional designations like CFP or CFA, both of which I hold, or the CHFC, Charter Financial Consultant, uh, the CLU, I think, and, uh, um, the, and also the PFS, which is a CPA financial planning designation. Now, those of, and, and I focused on the CFA and the CFP because these organizations, and again, I, um, uh, I hold both of those designations, have pretty robust ethical codes that require that clients be put first. All right? And they're also pretty vigorously enforced. The CFP board and the CFA institute uh, at least are serious about uh, enforcing their ethical codes. So the presumption was, and my hypothesis was, that uh, we'd expect those that have no designations to have more disclosure events, higher disc scores, than those who have CFPs or CFAs. And I also, having been through both, personally feel the CFA program is a lot more rigorous. It's much, much more difficult. There are three annual exams. It's a very hard program compared to the CFP. Um, and the, the ethical training, the ethical code is very much emphasized um, in, the, in the education where, where I didn't find that for the CFP. So my hypothesis was amended that, uh, read, that, that undesignated folks would have more disclosure problems and CFPs would have more than CFAs. And nobody except for my professor, uh, Dr. Wade Fowle, for whom I conducted a study as part of a recent class, has seen these results and they're about to be revealed here for the first time. Any guesses, folks, as to what I found? These, these guys haven't seen the study either. The opposite? 
Uh, it certainly is, uh, yes, it was certainly an unexpected <laughs> finding. Jonathan, go to the head of the class. I'm eagerly he is, waiting. He's the, he is the CFA candidate, by the way, but a CFP. So what I found was that the incidence rate for CFAs was significantly lower. The average percentage, and this is troubling in itself, the average percentage of people that have um, the uh, stockbroker's license, Series 6 or Series 7s, the average, uh, on average, 20% of them have some DISC score. They have some disclosure events. Their DISC is greater than zero. 19.6%. CFAs had a lower incidence, about half of that, about 11.8%. Those that had CFPs, uh, the Certified Financial Planners, had higher than average, had about 24%, or about 23% higher when I normalized it to the, uh, the undesignated population. The CFPs had a 23% higher um, discord or disclose problems, you know, like these questions, like fraud or they've been accused of doing this and that, uh, than folks that just had the Series 6 or 7. Um, and, but CFAs had 40% lower, um, 40%. So the spread between CFAs um, and uh, CFPs was like double. The CFPs had like double the, uh, um, the, the, the disclosure score problems that uh, then CFAs did. And I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty um, shocking, isn't it? Well, would you not also look at uh, the actual interaction with the public? CFAs probably interact with the public a lot less as well. Well, actually, so I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that, Jonathan. So I try to screen for because a lot of the tags in this database, it looks like the matrix. So that movie, all that, I mean, it's incredible. It's a huge spreadsheet. It takes forever to download. But one of the things is they're tagged for what their function is. You know, so I removed researchers, traders, folks that are, looked like they were involved more in a, uh, a research or analytic capacity and, and just picked those that were producers, that appeared to be producers. Yeah, I can't ever know for sure, but it's a pretty, you know, the, pretty, I mean, this was a lot of work to go through all this stuff, uh, academic research, man. It's not, getting the doctor's a lot harder than I used to think it was, I'll tell you that. Um, and, and we also looked at the scores and how much the point value, and these range from zero for folks like me and everybody else in this room, to a high of about 50, I think, for some individuals in, in the sample. And the average score for, CFP, for CFAs, those that had a disclosure, um, a, a disc that was uh, greater than zero, the average score for CFAs was half of the, of the undesignated broker population. For CFPs, it was 30% higher. So not only did CFPs um, the, in general have higher um, the, um, the incidences of having any disclosure event, but their individual scores were worse, which means that they were worse behaviors than the average stockbroker. Pretty astonishing, eh, Rob? Yeah, that's pretty surprising. You know, you would think that uh, people who are, you know, putting in an effort, you know, to, in theory, be more educated and get the designation and keep the designation and knowing that the, you know, the board is, you know, pretty rigorous in trying to stay on top of these situations that you would have, you know, that many more problematic uh, advisors out there. On the other hand, I think I'm not surprised that the CFAs are lower because, you know, it is, you know, the pass-fail rate is, you know, pretty significant. And, you know, you've got to be really sharp to go get your CFA. And so those people are really committed. And the CFPs now, have, they've dumbed down the, the examination. It used to be when you took it, Jonathan, it was a two-day written board exam, and now it's multiple choice for a couple hours. hours, I think. Not anymore. And the uh, um, and they they've waived the experience requirement too. You get the CFP without having to have practice as a financial planner. So there's a lot of troubling developments. One other thing is that 
So part of my hypothesis was also that those that had both CFPs and CFAs would have lower disc scores as well. What do you think I found? I'm sure that it was contrary to that. CFA. Yeah, those that had those CFAs that also had a CFP, those scores were worse. Now, there's not a very big sample for that. That's not, I'm not sure how statistically meaningful it is, but the other findings, that, uh, and those of you that, uh, that are students of statistics uh, will probably be amazed that there's a thing called the T-test that tells us how statistically significant the numbers are, and usually if it's over about a three, it's pretty statistically significant. I had T-scores of 86 and 438, respectively, for these two findings that we just talked about. Usually significant. I mean, incredibly, you know, almost like this is, there's no question about the relationship between these. So I'm not really sure, and by the way, in all, you know, in, in fairness to CFPs, uh, I found similar issues for the other financial planning designations, for CLU, CHFCs, and PFSs. And I think we will find, although the numbers were different, I, I think we will find that those are statistically insignificant, that financial planning designations in general we have more disclosure issues with. And uh, um, it's, it's not really clear why that may be, but one of the reasons may be that uh, uh, those that, that have financial planning designations have a little bit of investment knowledge, may really be overconfident in, in their ability. You know, compared to the CFA, I didn't learn anything in the CFP about investments. Um, and and that's, that's been also found in other academic research. So I think that may be part of it. Another thing may be that, the, uh, um, that CFPs or financial planners are maybe more inclined to be involved in financial planning discussions rather than just pure investments. And there's probably a lot more room for misunderstanding between consumers and planners, uh, whether one's outside of the strict investments uh, environments. Um, and... Uh, and the final thing, I guess, is this thing called information asymmetry, and this is maybe more foreboding, that those that have studied financial planning certainly know a lot more than the average registered rep that doesn't have a designation, the average stockbroker. I think that's obvious. Um, and the greater the gap in knowledge between the, the, the consumer or the prospect or the customer and the salesperson, the more potential for abuse there is. And that's very, very well established in the literature, and I think that may be part of it. So that's, these are troubling findings. Um, and uh, it certainly drives back the point home that you want to clearly understand. Again, I emphasize these are not for registered investment advisors or fiduciaries. Camarda is, uh, we have to put our clients' interests first. That's a legal obligation. The folks in the study didn't. The law did not require them to. Their designation ethical codes did, but the law did not require them to put them first. Their job is to make money for their employer, like Edward Jones or whoever. So that, that, that's the study that, that was here. Um, but still, you want to know what the relationship is because the potential for problems is probably a lot greater than most people realize. And again, if you like, you can drill down to this um, by requesting a copy of a free report, The Nine Biggest Dangers Facing Today's Investor and What to Do About Them. Certainly the relationship that you have with the person that's providing advice, and that term's in quotes, uh, or selling you products is a big, big potential danger that you should learn more about. For your free copy of this report, folks, call us at 800-262-1083. That's 800-262-1083. We're hoping, as we await the most entertaining segment of the show, Cousin Vito Camada and his cast of endlessly entertaining characters to crawl out of the caravan wagon. We're hoping they've removed the pilot voice and uh, will uh, give us something to laugh at. Stay with your Camada Wealth. Um, the radio uh, wealth education radio team. Stay with us, folks. Be right back after the break. 
Camarda Wealth Leaders' levity is intentional as we aim to be the car talk of financial radio, entertaining, hugely funny, and offering penetrating financial insight and rare expertise across a broad spectrum of wealth-related topics. We're dead serious about money, but want you to have fun, too, and laugh all the way to the bank. Unlike many financial radio shows, this is not one long commercial or constant annuity pitch. I hate those constant annuity pitches. This is Wealth Education Radio, and we aim to share best financial practices that can truly supercharge your wealth. Do we expect some of you will want to become clients? Sure, but because the chemistry is right, and because you come to believe that the wealth leaders, that's us, can get it done better than your other choices. That's your decision. But when it comes to investing, we're fiduciaries. We put our clients' interests first, and that's the promise you can take to the bank. For more information and free reports, call us now at 888-CAMARDA. That's 888-C-A-M-A-R-D-A. Do it now while it's on your mind, folks. Welcome back, my friends, to uh, the last entertaining segment of the Camarda Wealth Education Radio Show. We have Cousin Johnny, I mean, uh, Brother Johnny, Cousin Vito. I get so confused. Before he unleashes his entertaining market update, we wanted to remind you, you can see him live, kind of, certainly visually, uh, if you Google YouTube Camarda Wealth uh, to take a look at uh, Johnny's market updates uh, on the video and a lot of other really, really useful uh, video information. YouTube, Camarda Wealth. Johnny, who's in the house today, Johnny? Yeah, well, uh, we're going to start. appreciate the promotion, Jeff. We're going to start with the, uh, with the market update here as uh, Arnold's taking a nap. Uh, as we dive into the psychology of the expected Fed moves in September, and they've been certainly talked about a lot, there's been a buzz that the weaker than expected jobs report released by the uh, ADP, that's the Automatic uh, Data Processing uh, Unit there, Rob, uh, would perhaps cause Janet Yellen uh, and company to tap the brakes a bit on the uh, pending rate hike. To review the private jobs in July, obviously uh, we added about 185,000, well below the forecast of 215,000, and on, uh, again on the last, uh, last month's heels of uh, downward revision, this certainly uh, didn't look that good, but good enough to still keep the, uh, the idea out there of a rate hike. Now, if you look at the Fed, uh, the robust job growth before raising interest rates is certainly a criteria they're looking for, and certainly it's been kind of middle of the road. They'll be watching the July numbers and, and obviously the August numbers as they roll in uh, to make sure that the economy is truly creating enough jobs that justify that hike that uh, we're talking about with any kind of certitude. So again, you have some, uh, you know, some uh, longs that are concerned in the market. Those are individuals bullish, uh, just to kind of break it down for you. And now Arnold's finally woken up, and uh, <coughs> I need a lozenge. So here he is. Thank you, Vidal. That was actually pretty terrible, but I appreciate the effort to let me sleep a little longer. Now, listen, we look at the global shocks. Uh, cont- I'm sorry, it was continuing to be prevalent. The Greek stock market has now been open for several days uh, and weeks here. And not surprisingly, the banks are taking a beating. I mean, down 50, 60 percent as I wrote this. And the, the bottom line here is that the market is, after being closed for five weeks, certainly has had a sluggish, uh, you know, sluggish slumber as it tries to wake up out of the, uh, the nightmare that was the stoppage there earlier in the summer. Now, as we move now into the markets here in the U.S., we look at the S&P 500 right now. There's been recent turbulence, but it is, believe it or not, still traveling through a slightly ascending channel. That means it's moving slightly upwards, but certainly bouncing around. You probably see it a lot on TV. My big concern, though, is that mid-caps and small-caps Right, these stocks that have been outperforming since last October's correction have started to underperform. Now, you know, after a nice run, you expect a little bit of a pullback, a reversion to the mean, if you will. But at the same time, this could be a precursor to harder hit large caps as well. Because remember, the strong dollar is still out there. Well, we'll get to that. Moving right along here, 
when we look at the pending interest rate hikes, uh, you know, Sonia, I know that you had a question about this, so uh, you could probably say it more eloquently than I can. I thought she had a question about the summer grind continuing to the dog days of August, but maybe that was a, a question for uh, for Mr. Trump. I'm sorry. Right, right. Yeah, I think Mr. you slept Trump. through that one. Right. Um, so what's been on uh, on the strong or some of the strong niches that stand to gain the most from the Fed action? The to niches. Raise? Right, the niches. You're going French on me now, so I'm going to have to break out <laughs> Francois Pierre. Well, absolutely, Sonia. It's good to be with everyone. It's certainly a lot better looking than Arnold. No offense. But as we look at the firm uptrend right now with interest rates, we're looking at the regional banks, the broker dealers, and the insurance subsectors that are certainly looking very attractive with this upside move in interest rates. Very good question. Rob? You know, uh, energy has been looking pretty bleak. Do you think that's going to continue? You know, it's a great question, Rob. I had to kick him out of here. But, uh, you know, it's a great question. As we look at this display, get them out of here with his little paisley jacket. Listen, the commodity <laughs> currency picture is continuing to show global strength, uh, you know, with the, uh, the strength of the dollar has uh, certainly caused an erosion of the commodity currency picture. What am I smoking, right? Talking about commodity strength, it's been anything but. When you look at the commensurate weakness in energy, in gold, and even copper. Now, I look at copper, and you might uh, have heard of Dr. Copper because they talk about Dr. having a PhD in economics because it forecasts global economic demand. Certainly has been very, very, very terrible of recent, uh, you know, probably over the last year. And that will continue with a strong dollar as energy continues to go lower. And as we, as we wrap it up, what we're looking at right now is year-to-date, uh, just to give you guys a heads-up as we head to the fall, no pun intended, uh, the NASDAQ has easily outperformed everything else up uh, in the uh, high single digits. The Russell 2000 has taken a step back, as I alluded to, with the uh, small-cap weakness of late and is running neck-and-neck neck with the S&P year-to-date and starting to descend, and then the Dow Jones, of course, which has been miserable year-to-date compared to everything else. Anyway, that's all that we have at this time. Profit la vista, Vito. Stay profitable, <laughs> my friends. Anything in French, huh, Sonia? Au revoir. You want to speak French to me? Bonjour. Niche. Niche. <laughs> niche <laughs> rhymes with? If I just said niche, could I have gotten the cake, boss? <laughs> oh, oh, it's not oh the- wait a minute. We're, we're talking that after we're off the air. Thank you, everybody, once again for listening to Come On Wealth Education Radio. And again, don't forget to call for that free report, 800-262-1083. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You've invested yet another hour in Kamarda's Wealth Education Radio, your one source for sublime insight on all things financial. As Ben Franklin said, pour the coins from your purse into your mind, and your mind will fill your purse with gold. Remember the Kamarda Wealth Leader's warm offer of a complimentary review of your investments portfolio. That's a free analysis from the financial team with almost more letters than in the entire alphabet, an offer that makes old Ben smile even now. To get yours before we change our minds, call 888-CAMARDA. That's 888-C-A-M-A-R-D-A. Call now before we run out. That's it for this week, folks. Go forth and profit. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers, and may not reflect the opinions of the advertisers or broadcaster. Performance results are presented net of fees and reflect the reinvestment of dividends and capital gains. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that future performance of any specific investment or strategy will be profitable or equal to past performance levels. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Changes in investment strategies, contributions, withdrawals, and or economic conditions may materially alter the performance of your portfolio. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk. There can be no assurance any specific investment strategy will be suitable or profitable for any client's investment portfolio. Historical results for investment indexes or categories generally do not reflect the 
deduction of transaction fees or custodial charges or an investment manager's fees, the presence of which could reduce the client's actual performance results. There are no assurances that a portfolio will match or outperform a particular benchmark. Asset allocation and diversification do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. That testing involves a hypothetical reconstruction based on past market data of which the performance of a particular account would have been if the advisor had been managing an account using a particular investment strategy. Performance results presented do not represent actual trading using client assets, but were achieved through the retroactive application of a model that was designed with the benefit of hindsight. Back-tested performance results have inherent limitations, particularly that these results do not represent actual trading and do not reflect the impact of material market or economic conditions or factors that may influence the advisor's decision-making if the advisor were actually managing the client's money. Back-tested results should not be viewed as indicative of the advisor's skill, as they do not reflect the results achieved by any particular client of the advisor. Barron's rankings are survey-based and not made as a result of primary research by Barron's, but from information provided by ranked advisors. It should not be assumed that all advisor-based data is checked by Barron's.